Blog Talk Radio.
to take this part. But can I sing it one more time? Yeah! Oh! Your heart can be here If you have a Live and today we are going to talk about life after adoption. We have a special co-host on today, Ms. Terry Kendall, and she is going to be talking about the good side of adoption and interchangeably we're going to talk about the bad and the ugly side of adoption. So we welcome you to today's show and we want you to know that there is life after anything that you've gone through because God is faithful and God is true to his word and he is just and he will do just what he said he will do. If you'd like to call in from today's show, the number is 646-929-1800. And again, we want to thank you for being on the broadcast with us today, Ms. Terry. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good, 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 good. I'm glad to hear that um, you're mending and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, Not that much pain. Not that good, much pain good. anymore, so. Yes, And I want to thank you for still persevering, you know, to be on the broadcast. Um, after all, that is a huge sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So that point, I want to thank you for doing that. And um, give my love to baby. Yes. And um, Being a good nurse. Yay! <laughs> Here is for the baby. Okay, well, um, I kind of wanted to just lay the, the framework and essence of why we're talking about adoption uh, today and definitely talking about it from the standpoint of there is life after adoption, okay? And uh, we're looking at this from a natural um, aspect initially, and then we're going to later on in the broadcast get into it from a spiritual standpoint of view, but right now, coming from a natural uh, point of view, normally um, you hear in some customs and in some places that when a child is being adopted, that they're being chosen, and that makes that child special because you can choose to adopt them or not to adopt them. But when you are having a child naturally, you don't really always get to choose unless, you know, you spend a lot of money on genetic selection and everything like that. But just in the natural course of things that um, when a man and a woman comes together and that woman becomes pregnant, you don't really get to choose um, the eye color, the hair color, and all these things like that, and the features of the baby. Um, it's really up to God. 
But when someone adopts you, they look at you and there's something about you or there's something um, not about you that says, you know, I don't think this is the one, you know, we need to keep looking or whatever. But when somebody chooses to adopt you and bring you into their home and to embrace you as their own, that is a very, very special decision, and that is a very, very special child. So I have on the show today, as we were talking before, and we didn't know that about Miss Terry. Mm-hmm. Is it okay for me to share? Yes, yes. Okay, is that um, she is adopted. And um, as we were talking, I got to tell her, well, guess what? So am I. <laughs> and we we got to going back and forth, back and forth um, about her adoption experience, and I was, you know, telling her, you know, how happy I was, and talking about my adoption experience. And you know what? The timing is really right. The timing is really perfect, and I felt um, that we had a connection about this, that there was a spirit of agreement between us, that this topic fits right in with the life after series that we're doing on uh, Patricia Adams Live. So um, we said, okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, and let's put it out there, and hopefully this will touch somebody's life. It will encourage someone. Maybe um, you're wanting a child, and you're considering whether or not you should adopt. Maybe you have adopted a child, and uh, perhaps you are basically um, not really sure if you, you know, picked the right child, if you made the right decision or, or whatever, um, hopefully something will be said today that will be part of you. I know that you have made the right decision and um, to continue to parent that child. Because you do have the option to turn the child away. You have the option to return the child from where you got the child from. But we hope that today something will be said that will encourage you, and if you, say, have been adopted and you had a great adoption experience and you want to call and you want to share on today's show uh, with myself and Terry, feel free to do that. The number is 646-929-1800. As well, uh, if you had a bad adoption experience, call the number, 646-929-1800. And as well, you can log on to the show online, and we've got the chat room open, and if you want to join us in the chat room, and ask questions of myself or uh, Terry, we would be more than happy to have you uh, pose your questions. All right? So, Terry, tell me um, about your story of being adopted. Um, I was adopted at, oh, God, it was, must have been six months. My parents adopted me at six months. Um, the story that I knew is that... Um, my father had got into an accident and um, couldn't have kids. I wasn't sure about that. But um, anyway, they decided to adopt. Uh, they were legally foster parents, um, licensed to have a foster home, foster care home. So they got me, um, and 
it was my dad tells me this wonderful story and I don't know if that was ever true but my dad tells me this wonderful story is is that you know they they went to the place and there was a lot of babies in the room and he was looking around and I yelled and screamed and hollered and he said this is the one I want so this is the story he gave me but me and my father were very close and I was very special to him so of course if he made it up he was going to do an elaborate story <laughs> I didn't hear that one quite from my mother, but so, you know, I stick with that because that made me feel really good. So um, they adopted me, um, and I had the most, I was a uh, only child. Um, my parents were older. They were like in their 40s when they adopted me. So, um, you know, they were really happy, and um, uh, they were the just great parents. I um I was blessed. My mom was a wonderful woman. My dad was um um really into the neighborhood like community work and stuff also as I also as my mother. And they had a store in um part of California, Sacramento, California and so they were really active in the neighborhood, and my dad was one of those fathers that if other kids didn't have fathers, he would be your um, father. He would be your mentor. So um, they were honestly the best parents I've ever, I could ever, I thought I was blessed, you know, and I felt I was chosen, and, I, and God put me right where I needed to be. Um, I found out I was adopted probably in my teens. My my parents never said anything to me, so I found out probably in my teens. I kind of knew it was kind of weird because they didn't have a lot of baby, baby pictures. I think there was only like two or three baby, baby pictures of me. Um, I didn't look kind of like the rest of the family, but for some reason I people used to say I looked like my mom. Now, um, after I was adopted, I asked my mom, you know, people say I look like you, so I, I really didn't really get that um, – it didn't really click in my head that I was adopted because I still looked like my parents. But my mom said that uh, when they decided to adopt, they took their hair color and all that and put that into looking for a child, kind of the way they looked. So I guess that's the reason why I look really similar to them. Um, so, but it was an, I had an awesome childhood, an awesome childhood. Um, everything was nearly perfect as a child. Um, so that's kind of that, the adoption part and me growing up as a kid. Uh, we moved into another neighborhood, and that's where I met my really good friend, Dorothy. Now, me and her are friends for like 35 years. And she still today says, you know, I don't care what you say. That was your real parent, your real father, and your real mother. Because you couldn't have told a difference at all. If I didn't tell you I was adopted, you would have never known. Ever. My mother, you know, I was her child, and she loved me like she had me, and I loved her like I came directly from her. I didn't know any different. I, because I guess, and that's that never resonated in my mind. I was, you know, adopted. I know it. I heard them tell me, but I was like, no, you know, because aren't you supposed to be treated a little, little different being adopted? I thought you wouldn't have this connection with someone like this. 
But the connection to my parents was a serious, like a definite connection. Now, other people in my family, they could kind of, you know, other people around don't understand that. How can she, you know, well, she loves you, but, you know, you are adopted. You know, she does, she wouldn't understand if you were her own child, but my mother loved me like I was her own, and she would tell you that. So, uh, you know, other people didn't understand how she loved me because me and her went through a lot together. A lot that if I was her natural uh, child, she probably would have put took me, you know, put me back. She was very loyal to, you know, we were loyal to each other. And no matter what I did bad or what I what mistakes I made, she was always there for me and with me. Um, if I was right or if I was wrong, she was my, you know, she took when she adopted me, she adopted me as her own, and there was no other difference. As if my as my father, you know, he spoiled me. My mother was the disciplinarian, and my dad was spoiled me. So that's kind of how I grew up. Um, but when I got into adulthood, um, after both my parents, my father died in '91, and then I had a real close uncle that died right before my mother died. After my parents died, then that's when I noticed I was different. Um, I don't have any connection to my family. I think I talked to maybe two people in my whole family, and there's a huge family. Um, now I feel that the life that I had with my parents, almost it almost was a dream, and then I woke up. That's kind of how I feel now. You know, I that that was that life, and now I have a whole different life, mm-hmm. like starting over. Right, right. Uh, with no, you know, Imani, my daughter Imani, she's my family. Right. Um, so it's just like starting over now. This is the first time I felt different from my family, you know, in my life, because I felt complete and whole. And now it's like, okay, I, I st- I'm still complete and whole, but I, I finally feel different, and I never thought that I would feel that different. I can understand that. Yeah. My that. uncle used to tell me, um, you know, when we're gone, they're not going to have anything to do with you. And, you know, and I say, oh, you know, uncle. And he said, really? He, he, he it was almost, him and my mother almost prepared me for what was happening. I was still wasn't believing it, you know, but they were preparing me for what was going to happen. They knew. Mm-hmm. So that was where I'm at now. <laughs> but, you know, the um, the phenomenal part of being blessed to have someone who took such um, care and who was so intentional and deliberate in going about um, adopting that's a phenomenal story. Nobody living or dead can take that away from it. Right. I mean, that's a story that um, will, you know, forever be ingrained in your heart because that is um, the spirit of adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at it in terms of how God adopts us as sons, you know, because he chose us before we chose ever chose to be a part of his family. He chose us. Mm-hmm. And he chose us intentionally and he chose us with great love and care not so that uh, we could feel different or so that we 
could um, say, well, you know, I'm not um, good enough or I'm not as good as you are or I don't look like you or I don't act like you, but he chose us so that he, we could just marvel in how he loves all of us. Mm-hmm. Red, yellow, black, and white, he loves us all, you know, the same. And uh, when we accept him as our father, as our daddy, um, he does not withhold. You know, he talks about how if your earthly father, being evil, knows how to get good gifts, how much more would your heavenly father know how to do? And the Roman uh, citizenship and the Roman history talks about how involved uh, in that day and time, it was serious. They took adoption serious. If you um, were considering adopting a child and um, anything, I mean, there was a process that you had to go through. And I want to tell, um, we have a caller on the uh, line right now. We want to thank the caller uh, for being patient with us. Um, if you'd like to, Terry, I'll go to the, the call and um, see if there's a question for you. You want to take a call right now? Terry? Sure, sure. I had you on mute because my daughter's being a little okay. loud. Okay, <laughs> hold on just a second. All right, I'm going to see the caller. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I think adoption is given a bad rap, and I think um, a lot of times why people who are adopted probably have um, confusion in their lives or some sort of um, mental anguish and emotional anguish is because they're curious to find out who their real parents are. But people don't realize that to have real parents to have been born to people who, uh, you know, who are like normal people, like normal parents, isn't something to cause that mental anguish because there are so many dysfunctional families in which natural-born children are born to natural-born parents that um, I think adoption should be considered a blessing. After all, anybody who chooses a child for the right reasons to really give that child nurturing, that's a potentially a better parent than somebody who thinks that, well, it's my time, my biological clock is running out, or we're married, now we should have a kid. I think um, adoptive parents, if they raise their kids properly, um, have to be given a whole lot of credit. I personally wouldn't want to bring any um, any child uh, with my blood into this world. This world is just too dysfunctional for me to take my seed and then grow another human being. I would personally rather just adopt somebody, um, regardless whether it's a he or a she at the age of two months or two years or ten years, just as long as I know I can I can make that child feel loved. So people who are adopted, uh, who are adopted, um, and if they've had a happy childhood with their parents, they should feel lucky. Okay. Um, would you mind if I ask a question? If it's not too personal, yeah. <laughs> if it's not too personal, well, you've been kind of personal. Um, I want to say, you know, I heard you say something in regards to um, you personally did not want to have children. Correct? I can barely hear you. You personally said that you would not want to have your own child. No, I wouldn't. No. Okay, but you would like to adopt. 
Yeah, if I'm going to have, right. If I'm going to have a child, it would be an adopted child. Okay. okay. And in that adoption, are you talking about as a single parent or a, a two-parent, you know, family? Preferably, preferably two parents, but I don't see any reason why a single parent can't do the job. Can't do the job. Okay. All right. Um, Sherry? Huh? Sherry? Yeah. Uh, would you like to have fun? He, you made some really good points there because um, it is... You know, my parents were awesome to me, and I thought that it was just really, really great that they decided to, and they prepared themselves for adopting me, and that's probably the reason why I had such a wonderful childhood, because they prepared for it. It wasn't like it just, my mother just got pregnant and, you know, right. Um, this is, you know, and then we go on, because I see a lot of um, kids that when I was growing up, their parents were like, um, nothing on how I was raised. Right. So you could tell the par- um, how much my parents prepared for me. Yep. And to me, that was a blessing. Um, so I, I do understand what you're saying. And, and I, I do commend people that want to adopt kids because there's a lot of kids that need to be adopted. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they can give them a great life. Well, yeah. If, as you've said, if they prepare themselves properly, because a lot of times... People believe that raising kids is something that you, you know, it's very easy. All you have to do is just change a diaper every once in a while, maybe feed them and burp them, and that's all there is to it. But Exactly. But kids are kids. Kids are little humans. They have their own personalities, their own temper tantrums, their own idiosyncrasies, and they're around 24 hours a day. And if you don't know how to really give the child all that child needs psychologically and financially, Mm-hmm. My personal philosophy is do not have kids. That's yeah. my, you know, that's my thing. Um, a lot of people will give birth to two or three or four kids, but I ask myself why. You know, if you can't give the kids the proper education, if you can't be there when the when the child comes home and wants to uh, shed their soul of some sort of trauma which happened in school. And you're not there, prepare, and you haven't prepared yourself to sit down and be a supporter, um, a diaper changer, a person who has to get up on the, uh, on the weekends and take your child to soccer or to football and come back. If you don't know what it's like, then don't have ch- uh, children just because society says it's good to have children. Yes, because having kids is a sacri- it's, it's a sacrifice. That you're going to get, you know, your life that you have, going out, doing all this, it should be done when you have your kids. That's how I feel, you know. My mother used to tell me her, I was her, I was going to be her child until whenever. That never mm-hmm. ended. It wasn't until, you know, you get 18 and you're gone. That's, that was never said in my house. Until she was on this earth and at the end I took care of my mom. Right. I was her child. And she was going to do anything for me and take, you know, and help me and be a parent to me. Mm. And that didn't stop. You know, I hear some parents say, oh, you're 18, you're out. That was not how I was raised. Mm-hmm. And people have to understand that. When you have a kid, that kid's with you forever. It doesn't, when they get 21, it's, they're not gone. Yeah. You know, they don't understand. A lot of people don't understand that, that right there. You're right. You know? uh, with the conversations I've had with people, um, the conclusions that I've drawn is that children are the greatest treasures that parents mm-hmm. wish they never found. 
you know. <laughs> because they can be such pains in the butt, even if yeah. even after twenty one. Yeah. You know, coming, you know, coming to mommy and daddy for money, or mm-hmm. you know, they see that their son or their daughter is getting mixed up with the wrong potential wife or potential husband. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's a drain. And if you're not prepared to do that, um, don't have kids. So, right. You know, because children are the most important product that a person can actually create. Right. Exactly. You know, and, you know, there isn't much, I mean, to me, I, there are people who adopt because they want money. You know, they want it from the nanny stage. But there right. are people who, who adopt because they legitimately love to raise children. And if they have that type of mentality, and if they have that type of attitude, they should be allowed to be parents. And, you know, in some way, I wish there was a way that we could find out whether or not people who have the, um, the capacity to give birth really actually have the psychological and mental wherewithal to give birth. Because I think most parents don't know what they're doing. Right. They should never have given birth. Wow. Um, that's, that's a powerful statement. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to thank you for calling in and being a part of the show. Most definitely uh, feel free to stay on the line um, with us. Um, I think that you may bring some important uh, aspects to it, especially coming from a male. Yeah, I'd like to stay on the line. Uh, that'd be great. Okay. Um, yeah. okay, Terry, are you okay yes. with that? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Okay, because, I mean, we're, we're two women. Are talking about this, and I really was hoping that we would get a male perspective on this. So that's great. Thank you. Um, I noticed that I had a couple of people in the chat room, um, and it was an extra leg for me. I'd like to welcome you to the broadcast, and AA Literary Divas, welcome you to the broadcast as well. Uh, Carla, would you happen to be either one of those? No, uh-uh. I'm not in the okay, chat. Okay, great. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, so basically, if anyone has um, any questions for our co-host Terry, or um, may I have your first name, caller? I'm Joe. Joe, or right. any questions for Joe, please feel free to um, bring them up in the chat room, and I will post the questions to them. And again, I want to thank you all for coming on the broadcast with us today on Patricia Adams Live as we talk about life after adoption, and I. So enjoy hearing Terry tell her story, and once you tell her story to me, it is every adopted child's dream to have that doting father, that nurturing mother. Um, there's even a story I know where Terry talks about how she knew that her father was a protector of her, and that she knew um, kind of like how we look at today, Madea, you know, uh, ride or die. <laughs> Uh, that they were there with her till the end, and that they had no trouble letting her know how loved and precious she was to them, and that they chose her. And and that I think is um, something like I, I tell her, nobody can take that from you. And I think it's something whether you are adopted or not, um, it's something every child should have. And as well, when we were talking about the fact that now that um, your mother and your father are both deceased, mm-hmm. and you had an uncle that was close to you, and all three of these components in your life are gone right now, and so now it's you and your child, basically. But 
there's a story that you told um, to me before when we were preparing for the broadcast about how your mom was preparing you for her departure and how um, you believe that she prayed a special prayer for you. Would you mind sharing that on the Um, I took care of my mom for probably the last three years of her life. She, um, they said for many years my mother was having many strokes. Um, we didn't know that. Um, and at the end she had a, one major stroke, well, a smaller stroke, and then they sent her home and then she had a major stroke. So she was um, in a wheelchair, um, not able to really talk. Um, she could understand everything you said and wanted to talk back to you, except she couldn't, but you could see in her eyes that she could talk to you. Um, but she didn't want me to be alone because she knew that I would be all alone if she left. So I believe that I think if I would have had kids prior to that, my mother would have just went home. She didn't. She stayed. And um, I got pregnant at 39 with my daughter. Um, doctor said I couldn't have any kids. There was no possible way I can have kids. But I got pregnant at 39 with my daughter. Um, my daughter was uh, born a year prior to my mother dying. Um, they diagnosed my daughter with Down syndrome, and I brought her home. My mother said, you know, my mother, I put her in my mother's arms, and she said, oh, you know, she was so happy. It looks just like her dad, and she looks just like her dad, and she's going to be fine. Don't worry. My mother, her eyes and the words that came out to me is, do not worry. You're okay, and she's okay. And a year, it must. It was a couple of months before my daughter's year birthday, my mother passed away. I, I believe my mother willed Imani into my life so I will have someone because she knew that I would be alone. She knew that. And the weird, the weirder part about it is that, um, my daughter is a little, my mother's name was Louise. My daughter is a little Louise. She is just like my mom. She takes care of me just like my mom. She is just like my mother. Um, so I believe that she willed her before she left this earth to make sure that I had someone. That was going to be blood to me because the whole time that I was growing up, my my childhood and my parents were so great. I had no no I had no emptiness. I had no need to look for my real parents. Never. Um, there was a few times after my parents died that I wanted to, but I don't have that. A lot of kids say they have that emptiness. My emptiness left when I had my daughter. I never had an emptiness to look for my real parents. So that's what, you know, happened after my mother passed away. Okay. And, you know, that story in itself, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, um, Carrie, I want you to continue to talk. Um, AA Literary Diva says hello, okay? Oh. Um, continue to talk about your story, okay? Um. So, yeah, so that, you know, that was um, kind of what happened after she left. But going on about, you know, the family that I, like I said, the family that I was raised with, it's like they're gone. 
and now I have a whole new lo- new other life. And that one, it's almost like you woke up, you were in this wonderful dream, and then you woke up, and here you are. Now you're in this other wonderful dream with your child. It doesn't seem like they connect. For only just with my, you know, me and my mom. That that was the connection. Um. So you know that's that's pretty much my story after my mother passed away and how I now have my daughter, which is an awesome little lady and um, doing great. And um, and that's that. But that's kind of what you wanted. You know, um, God is faithful. God is so faithful. God is so faithful. I just, I just, I just had um, a brief moment here of something that um, you would not even believe. You would, you would absolutely not even believe um, if I told you what just happened um, when I was telling you that you could talk about the story. But I, I just, I just, you know, know how. Um, oh, he is so sovereign. He is so sovereign. And I am truly grateful. Um, we lost our caller that was on the air. Joe, um, if you can okay. hear it, um, call back in. And uh, we still would like to continue to um, have a discussion. The call in number is 646 929 Again, the call in number, if you'd like to. Pose a question or make a comment. The calling number is 646-929-1800. We are on talking about life after. Life after what? Life after adoption. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And our special guest has been co-host Terry Kendall, and she is still on with us right now. And she's talking about the kind of adoption that every adopted child wants to have. Every adopted child wants to have, and I hope that um, there are many adopted children who are having this experience and who are, if they haven't been adopted and they're waiting to be adopted, I pray that God will send them the kind of parents that Cherry had. Because I think that through adoption, more than anything else in the world, to choose a child and to love that child is the richest thing that you could possibly ever do in the life of Christ. Um, to take the time to go and look at babies and to look at babies and to look at babies and, and with the intent that Terry's our parents set out, they wanted someone who had similar you know, hair features and things like that. And so out of that um, came a baby that basically um, by all appearances, no one should have questioned whether or not this was their child, right? Right. And right. So, because I was, um, I was raised that way. That, that, exactly. I was their child, and they. And that is adoption. No, they never even told anyone. When I got older, I would tell people, you know, I'm, right. you know, I'm adopted. If I found out the person I'm talking to was adopted, but no one would. No one knew. No one knew. Right. But that one thing is. Spirit, the spirit of adoption that God um, has for us, 
at his children. And that's the spirit of adoption that he places in the heart of people who will allow them to. And I believe that God placed that spirit of adoption inside of your parents to love you, to nurture you, to care for you. Um, and there is a little bit of history um, that comes from the Roman times. Mm-hmm. And when they talked about adopting, this is basically adoption according to the Roman system. And it said that the preceded extensive inquiries were made. First and foremost, the priest would require um, the parents to be investigated mm-hmm. for their motives and the suitability for adopting the child. Um, emphasis was placed on ensuring that the religious practices of the home, of the adopting family, would be maintained. Um, an appropriate bill had to be passed by the Roman state to enable the adoption to be received. Um, adoption was even used as a means of qualifying for certain state provisions and rights, and all these things impressed upon the Roman citizenry that adoption was a serious process and not something done lightly. So it says, again, we can see the lessons for us. God does not make the decision to choose to call us now lightly. He inquired, uh, possibly with counsel from the 24 elders about his calling, consider very carefully the implications of calling someone now in a world cut off from God. When we talk about someone who is going to take into account uh, the responsibility for considering um, the, the human side of me and the spiritual side of me, and making sure that you're okay, that you're okay in this world and you're okay with who you are and you're okay with who you are. The spirit of adoption that God puts in our lives as us. Okay. But to hear how your parents so modeled and emulated this whole thing is so God like it's so divine. It's like they have the divine nature of God in them leading and guiding them through the process of adoption, through selecting you, through loving you. Through, I mean, can you imagine they named you? You know? I mean, everything. Um, yeah. They, and my they, father they, named me. My father exactly. named me. Well, he was going to name me Terry Sherry. He had an awesome <laughs> personality. You just, you anybody that knew my dad loved my father. But, yeah, he, they named me. <laughs> And here there's another thing that talks about the role of the father according to Roman society. It says adoption into a Roman family meant total subjection to the new father. It uh, explains how this is a special term. And it meant that basically for as long as that father lives, you belong to them. You know, um, we just totally miss it sometimes because here he is saying like, the life of this father, the life of this father, um, there is no end to your belonging to him. He has the right to name you. He has the right to protect you. He has the right to care for you and to nurture you. And I just want to uh, celebrate your parents with you. You know, Mother's Day is past, Father's Day is you know, fast approaching. And I want to you know, take the time out and just celebrate your parents um, with you. And I want to thank God for giving you your parents and for them loving you and for them nurturing you and caring for you and providing for you, praying for you and being everything, everything that you believe that you needed so much so that 
you didn't have a need or a desire to go out and look for your natural parents. That's me complete. That's that's absolutely complete. Should you choose to, you know, down the road or whatever, that's still your decision, but you aren't looking for them because they there was a void. Mm-hmm. You know, they made you a part of their family. They made you feel loved, and they made sure that you knew that you were loved and that you were special. And um, so that that warms my heart. Makes me very happy for you. <laughs> and so as we come up to um, an hour and 13 minutes in the broadcast, uh, we still have guests in the chat room. And I believe, Terry, you're interacting with some of them there. Um, if either of you would like to call in and make any comments, or if you want to pose a question in the chat room to Terry, I'd be happy to uh, share that with her. And again, the call in number is 817-646-929-1800. Okay? And um, right now, I'd like to have uh, a time of prayer, if you will, Terry. Do you mind doing that? And uh, sharing with those who are listening and those who will be tuning in uh, later in the archive, something from your heart um, as an adopted child to parents who may be considering adoption, to um, children who have been adopted, you know, are maybe yearning for their biological parents because they aren't, aren't or have not had the best adoption experience. But the best thing is that I want you to share with your heart again, okay, that you believe that God would want them to know about where they are right now. Here. Do you hear me? Yes, yes. Do you hear me? Okay. Yes. Um, most that I would love to share um, as my story is that I I really pray that all kids that are adopted have this story. Um, the parents that adopt a child um, adopt that child because they want a child. They you know they are in. They want a child. The best thing in the world is to adopt a child that's here, that their parents, in one way or another, could not take care of them. And bringing in a, a child into your life, into your family, and letting them have a family. That's the most important thing that I want to get across, especially, you know, being adopted. Never make your child feel any different. You know, you love your child until the end and just like she because when you adopt a child you are adopt that's your child and you should have feelings just like that child is your child um i don't really know how it goes when the child is older but i would suspect that that it should be that same way too um for the child uh be very happy that someone chose you it's special you're special you know they chose you um you're in this in this family now and really really be happy that you're in a family because there's a lot of kids that are in you know go into adoption that are never adopted so really be grateful you know be grateful to your parents because you know I put my parents through a lot um at a certain age and I wish I hadn't but they knew that I loved them um 
and you know, when I look back now, there's things that I wouldn't have done, but I think that was just my course of where I was going. Um, and uh, and looking for your natural parent, you know, hopefully you won't have that feeling. A lot of people want to have that feeling of finding their natural parents. I never did because I felt I had everything. Um, and when you feel you have anything, you're not looking for anything else. I was I never had an empty feeling inside of me, ever, once, ever, even when I got disciplined, anything, you know. I never told my mom, oh, you're not my parents, you can't do this. Never. It didn't come out because that was my mother. Those were my parents. So, um, you know, that's basically what I want to say. Just, you know, just be grateful. And, you know, the parents need to be grateful that God sent them a child. You know, this is your child. You you nurture your child. You raise your child. You teach them the best in life. You know, you give them the, the best that you can give them because, you know, there's people in the world now that's just having babies. There's um, a lot of um, women, single women, that, that have kids and the father walks off, you know. And um, a child is a child, and, sh- and children should be cherished. Um, that's how I do my daughter, even though she has a disability. She's not no different from any other child. Um, and and children are from God. You know, they are a gift. They're special. They're a gift. They're, you know, Lord gives you a child. You raise that child. You, if you don't know how to raise a child, you learn. You talk to somebody. You get you a mentor. You do something because this child is going to be in society and that's an aspect, a mirror of you. So that's kind of, you know, what I what I would have to say. Um, I had a wonderful experience being adopted. A lot of people don't. Um, but I had an awesome experience being adopted. And that's what I would like to say. You know, I want to um, take a kind of like a worship break. And uh, play a song, and that's just like in my in my spirit. And I hope that um, you don't mind that. And when we come back up on the air, we will be in the second half of the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, um, I'd like to flip it over to the Life After Series um, adoption for that. And uh, is that okay? Yes. Okay. And actually, I'd also like for you to be the interviewer. Are you um, available to do that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I'll let you flip the table on me. Okay. Like that. Perfect. Okay? All right, thank you. So I'm going to play uh, Secret Place. Okay? Okay.
Trish Adams Live, and that was Karen Clark Shears Secret Place. That is a beautiful song, and I so find it um, a song that I can relate to. It is most definitely a worshipful song. It's something that you would have to um, be able to take that song away from you. No matter where you are, even if you can't sing the notes or you can't sing the melody, um, the words, if you can just remember the words, sometimes, you know, I find myself walking um, and I just hear myself just repeating the words to the song because I can hear the melody, but I'm repeating the words to the song because they are truly anointed and powerful. So I really, really enjoy that song, Secret Place by Karen Clark Sheard. And we are getting ready to go into the second half of the broadcast, and our co-host is Ms. Terry Kendall, and I am Patricia Adams, and we are now about to flip the script on the Life After series, Life After Adoption. And Ms. Terry is going to yes. become the interviewer, uh, myself, Patricia Adams. So, Ms. Terry. Yes, you um, hear me? We have, yes, ma'am. We have okay. really... Uh, I want the audience to know we haven't rehearsed so we're really like, you know, flying um, in um, the presence of God with this. And so I'm going to trust God to uh, okay. put myself in your capable hands. Okay. Well, my name is Terry Kendall, and I'm the co-host of um, Patricia Adams Life um, Radio. Um Guess I'll just start asking you questions here. I told my story of an adopt of adoption, and um, last time we talked, we found out we were both adopted. So I would love to know your story of adoption, your your side of adoption. Do you have any specific things you want to ask me about? Um, just uh, the good or bad, or your experiences um, of adoption. Uh, your early years and a little bit of the kind of middle, you know, you're growing up and after um, being adult, being an adult. Um, okay. Let's see. I was adopted true. Um, and to my knowledge, I believe my adoption was pretty early on. Um, I had stories that kind of go back to possibly two months, but I believe I was pretty much uh, placed into uh, someone else's care pretty much from birth. And um, during that time, basically, um, I say mama um, is who I identified with the most. And she was um, that part of my life where you talk about um, having someone who is nurturing you, who is your protector, who is caring for you. Um, mama was that for me. And um, Mama had a husband, and so um, I didn't really call him Daddy <laughs> or anything like that, um, but I pretty much called her Mama, and whenever I was speaking to her husband, basically it was, you know, just conversation, and he really didn't talk a lot to me. Um, so I was pretty much hurt, and I slept with her. I, I you know, uh, wherever she went, that's where I was. So we were kind of like um, inseparable, if you would. 
basically. And so she was just, um, I, I never even thought that she wasn't my mother. Mm. I, you know, I just, I never thought it. I never got into looking at um, her skin or looking at my skin or looking at her features or whatever. None of that just ever crossed my mind because she was there. You know, she was there. And so that was, you know, when I wanted milk. And, and I have very vivid memories from a very young age. And when I said, you know, I wanted milk, she would get me milk. If I was hungry, she would get me something to eat or, you know, whatever, whatever I would go to her with. Um, she responded to me. So um, growing up, there were a lot of um, loopholes in my life, if you would, because um, at the same time, while it was myself and Mama and Mama's husband, there was also a young woman that lived with us. And um, she was, you know, there sometimes and sometimes she wasn't there. And so I never really addressed her by a name or anything, you know, because my interaction with her was really kind of nominal. Um, I noticed sometimes, you know, she would be present for um, certain occasions in my life, like, you know, birthdays and things like that, but then other times I wouldn't see her. So pretty much um, it was me and Mama. Me and Mama and um, our family had, like, several businesses um, at the time that we kind of rotated around. So if we weren't at home, I was with Mama at the business or, you know, this business or whatever. And so sometimes I got underfoot <laughs> because I wanted to be a big girl and I always wanted to do whatever Mama was doing, so I would try to do what Mama would do. And um, so I grew up pretty much um, pretty fast in regards to maturity-wise. I don't really consider myself having been like the, uh, the oh, the little girly girl, you know, or um, just the girl that just played the little girl games and, and did the little girl kind of thing. I pretty much existed around my mama. And so basically, um, for me to have had her in my life has been something that I have not been able to shake. And so a lot of people, like you talk about your mom and everything, and um, it's an unshakable experience. And so as I have progressed in my life, coming to terms with the fact that um, at her death, and uh, she didn't just die, uh, she was murdered, and basically um, the, uh, the turn of events, it's like I said, we were inseparable. And at that time, when she was being attacked and um, brutally attacked, she pretty much was... Um, by herself, and traditionally and ordinarily, I was wherever she was, that's where I was. So I can look back and say now that had it not been for the grace of God um, allowing me to do something out of the ordinary and not be there that day, I'm pretty sure that I would have died with her as well. And um, so when this woman was taken out of my life, um, immediately, Immediately, I knew my life was never going to be the same. And so this was like in um, 1966. And uh, February of 1966, I was a happy-go-lucky little girl. I got pictures of myself and everything. And um, by June of 66, um, we had had um, a birthday party, and she threw the best birthday party. She threw me just the best. 
birthday parties, and then the table was spread out, and I had this beautiful blue dress, and she had my hair all done up, and Shirley uh, Temple curls and everything, and I was just a happy camper. And so my birthday um, came, and that following month, she was attacked. Mm. And so within a matter of um, months, I had gone from being this, you know, happy-go-lucky little girl, always smiling, always upbeat, to this child who sucked a lot. You know, um, I didn't really, I wasn't quite myself. It it was as if um, when she died, I died. A part of me died. And I forever um, grieved over that loss because I never really grieved her. You know, I mean, I was a child. Um, and I couldn't quite put the pieces together of what had happened and why it had happened and who would do such a horrible thing because it's one thing to, like, you know, shoot somebody, you know, or stab somebody or uh, whatever, but he just uh, brutally attacked her. Um, and it's those things that I remember um, people in the neighborhood have the story, basically, um, that I found her. And basically, I was the one that discovered her, and um, that's the story that's been told. But I didn't really discover her, but I did discover the crime scene. Um, so when I walked in, the ambulance was there, and you know they had like taken her body up and you know, placed her on a gurney and everything. But when I walked in, um, there was a chalk outline of her body, and then there was all this blood just on the floor, and then the place was a mess. You know, there had been a serious scuffle, so she was fighting for her life. Um, at that particular moment, but this young man um, took it upon himself to say that he had come in to ask for bus fare, you know, um, to get some change uh, for the bus. And uh, anybody who knew her, she was a generous woman, and she would give. She would have gladly given him bus fare, you know, but for some reason or other, he commenced to beating her, robbing her, and he took the... uh, iron that she was ironing with and basically wrapped the cord around her neck and, you know, strangled her and then took the cord and the cord uh, obviously was still connected um, to the electrical source and he burned her, scorched her face up really, really bad. And uh, then he beat her in the head with the iron and then, uh, like I said, we were in a business environment. So basically um, there was this brass uh, cash shirt. And they say that he, in addition to beating her in the head with iron, beat her in the head with this and basically just fled. Um, and so that is um, how I lost Mama in my life. And um, I later on, you know, come to find out that she wasn't my Mama, which was really, really hard for me. <laughs> you know, because it's like if she wasn't my Mama, then who was? And, okay, so she isn't my Mama. Who's my Mama? Who's my Daddy? And so um, I did not find um, out who my biological parents were until I was 21 and 28. And uh, basically that was because I, unlike you, I had that hole in my heart. And I was looking and I was searching. Um, But over the course of my life, I've had um, basically, um, after Mama died, basically kind of drifted around for a year from place to place. Um, with them trying to find somebody who would take me in. And so from like the age of seven until 16, I lived um, with another um, couple, basically. And so they took me in and uh, adopted me. And then from uh, she died, 
at the age of 16, when I was 16, rather. And then after that, I lived with her um, other sister from the age of 16 until 18. So when I turned 18, the exact day that I turned 18, um, I left. And I've been on my own ever since. So um, my experience with adoption was not great because um, I was not adopted by people who were nurturing, who were caring. I was adopted by people who were very abusive physically. Uh, They were abusive emotionally. They were abusive sexually. Um, They were abusive financially. Um, So I was more or less uh, labor, if you would, because they were older people. Like you say, your parents were like in their 40s. Mm-hmm. Well, they were more like, you know, uh, 50-ish, 60-ish, if you would. And so basically um, it was it was very difficult. It, it was very, very difficult for me. And um, my my point of reference for that, I remember uh, the caller that was on the air, he said um, there should be something in place where you can kind of screen people uh, before they give birth. <laughs> Yeah. And that you can also um, even uh, clean people before they you know, get adopted. Well, all these things are supposed to be in place, but I don't really know how much um, they are being forced. But I know that then um, due diligence wasn't really done before I was placed um, into this family's home. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a web of deceit, it's a web of lies. Um, I go through a series of um, brainwashing, basically, about um, who's your mama, who's your daddy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they, you know, just there's just so many different stories to be told and so many different versions to be told about um, who mama is and who daddy is and, and all this kind of stuff like that, that um, I have been painted pictures of, you know, multiple daddies and, and multiple, excuse me, multiple mothers. And basically um, having to step out on my own. And like I said, I found out, confirmed, I had an idea of who my birth mother was, um, but I had to confirm that at the age of 21. Um, I, in the process of after finding my birth mother, I was like, well, obviously I'm going to find my birth father. And um, I didn't really know who he was. And people in the family uh, knew both my, my mother and my father were, but they withheld that information from me. Mm. And it seemed like the more I asked, the, you know, quieter everybody got. <laughs> right. So finally, um, you know, on my own um, and through God's, you know, sovereignty, I did find my father um, at the age of 28. But um, so basically from the time of being born up until the age of, of 28, there's um, all kinds of drama going on in my life. Um, I'm not safe, most definitely not safe. Um, I am, uh, like I said, being beaten um, physically. I am being emotionally um, abused, right? and uh, most definitely psychologically and uh, and sexually. And in this process, not only was this like, you know, you think of, well, okay, sexual abuse as um, a male doing a painful child, but... This was something where both men and women were abusing physically, emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, and sexually. So there is, there's, you know, a traumatic past um, and it really 
just doesn't make sense sometimes. <laughs> right. And so when I sit back and um, I don't have any envy in my heart for anybody who's had a great adoption experience, as a matter of fact, it gives me joy, just like your story does, um, to know that there are people out there who did have a great mm-hmm. experience. You know, I just didn't happen to be one of them. Right. So um, in that thing and, and in that process that um, I ask God sometimes, you know, why? You know, um, a child is born into this world and you definitely hope that they're going to be loved, mm-hmm. you know, but um, it seems as if I was born into this world and I didn't get any of that, you know. Okay. So, <laughs> I, right. you know, where, you know, where, uh, you know, did that go wrong for me and why did it go wrong for me? And um, all the time, I look back and I said, you know, had it not been for God, um, and when I didn't even know God, um, I, I used to just sit outside when I wasn't being uh, violated or whatever and just look up in the sky. And says, you know what, I know you made a mistake. Why don't you come and get me? It wasn't mm-hmm. that I wanted to die, but I just wanted them to relocate me. Right. <laughs> like, right. you know. I, I I can't possibly belong on this planet because I, I most definitely don't belong to these people. I don't look like them. I don't talk like them. I don't act like them. Um, they don't, you know, treat me the way that I see my classmates being treated, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by their parents. Uh, when I go and visit people and I see mothers, you know, interacting with daughters and, and vice versa, you know, cause I don't get that. So there's something wrong here. So I never had... Um, that, that feeling of being safe, of being loved and of being nurtured and having somebody take up for me because I was always having to take up for myself, basically. And if I couldn't fend for myself, I had to just suck it up and uh, go along until I could get out. And so basically um, turning 18 definitely was my get-out time. So um, I lived with the constant threat, you know, run away, uh, we'll have you locked up, um, all that. Um, so you know, uh, finding out what's the legal age that I can run away. What's the legal age that I can mm-hmm. get away and they can't come after me, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I lived for the age of 18. I mean, when I say live, I right. lived for the age of 18. And, I mean, um, I had been planning my getaway um, right before I, you know, turned 18 of how I was going to do it. I had graduated high school, so I had my high school diploma. I had secured a, a job for myself and everything, and I was still living with um, my last mother's sister. And I said, you know, um, I've got to get away. I've got to get away. And um, so I started just, like, um, taking pieces of clothes and and stuffing them in a suitcase, you know, little bitty things that they wouldn't miss, you know, hanging up in my closet or in my drawer or whatever, and I would hide my suitcase, you know. And so finally, when I, I had enough clothes in my suitcase, um, I took my suitcase out and I hid it outside, basically, um, in the storehouse. And so um, the day that I decided that, okay, um, midnight, uh, the night before my birthday, I went outside while everybody was sleeping, got my suitcase out of the storehouse, and then I stuck it in my closet, and I prayed that nobody would find it in my closet. So, you know, um, the morning the very morning that I turned 18, I woke up, called a cab, set my suitcase outside in the driveway, uh, waited for the driver to come before everybody got up and took my suitcase out, and I said, 
Uh, please put this in your car. Whatever you do, whatever you see go on, don't go off and leave me. Mm. Whatever you do, don't leave without me. So um, once I knew that he wasn't going to leave me, I went in and I told him I'm gone. And I took off. I took off. Um, and I didn't have a place to go. I just knew that I had to get out of there. And uh, so during that time, um, I, I, you know, can tell you that um, I went through a period of uh, this whole year. I mean, from the, the time I can remember uh, basically four years on up until um, the time I got on my own of being uh, victimized, you know, sexually, especially. Um, and uh, it just was never, uh, this is definitely the ugly side of adoption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. <laughs> this, is. this is definitely the ugly side of adoption, but um, believe it or not, we were in the court system, you know, and that's the thing that is most um, hideous about it is that this is not like something that was outside of the realm of the court. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, I was in and out of the court system until I was 13, but not at one single time were there any home visits, um, was there any time where they actually took me someplace where I was safe and asked me how I was doing, did they check up on me. Um, sometimes I was wearing long sleeve clothes to hide the, the bruises and scars um, from where I had been beaten, um, and when I would go to court and they would, you know, um, and so I was too afraid to speak up because what if they didn't believe me? What if they didn't take action? Then I'd have to go back. You know, so I was caught. Mm-hmm. I was caught in the middle of a, a really bad situation. But for some reason, there was something inside of me that just would not let me die because there were too many occasions where I should have died, uh, could have died, um, even uh, during the times when uh, I was with Mama, basically, and I talked about the young woman. Um, there were times when she tried to kill me, tried to drown me. Um, I've had times where um, Mama's husband tried to kill me. Um, I've had times where um, aunties um, and uncles tried to kill me. Um, mm. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, like, you know, you people just really don't want me to live. <laughs> right. You know, and, and something inside of me just said, well, you know what, I think you don't want me to live, but somebody has to want me to live, and, and so I wanted to live. You know, I wanted to live, and uh, it put a fight in me that, um, you know, against all odds, against what the enemy meant to destroy me and what he meant to steal my life. For me, God has taken it and turned it um, into ministry. And uh, so it's with the intent, basically, that I do what I do, uh, from the radio um, to writing talking, sharing, whatever, um, it's in my heart to say, you know, I know how you feel. I, I know um, <laughs> there are some things that just aren't right in life. But this one thing I do know is that don't you dare check out on life. Don't you dare, um, you know, think about destroying your life. Don't you think about giving up on life. Don't you think about killing yourself because of what's going on right now, because trust me, trust me, uh, it will be over soon. It will be over soon. And um, God has a way. God has a way of getting through the valley of shadow of death. 
uh, but you have to trust him with that. And when I didn't trust him, when I didn't know him, um, there was something inside of me. And it took me years to figure out. Um, you know, you would hear people say, you know, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. It was, um, I was 28 years old when I met the woman who had been praying for me all my life. Mm-hmm. And she was a jewel in my life, an absolute jewel in my life. She lived until she was 100. So basically I had her in my life 12 years. And so um, she told me stories about meeting my birth mother, and she told me stories about how she would lay her hands um, on my birth mother's stomach whenever she would be around her, and she would pray over me and prayed for me because she knew the moment that I was born, I was going to be in trouble. And the day that I met her, it was just, it was like a day that Jonathan kind of thing was like a hard to just knit it together. We were absolutely, people would look at us and they said, you know, you guys are related, but there's something more to you guys when they would see us together. Because mm-hmm. um, she was, um, she was my girl. You know, and I say that, and she knows, um, and I say it like that, but it's like, you know, there were things that I would say to her, and uh, there were times when she would pick up the phone and call me, and I would be stressed, and she wouldn't, you know, it's, it's not that I had called her, but that our hearts were so knitted together. She would call me, what's going on? You know, talk to me, tell me what's going on, what's, you know, what's, what's going on now? And she would never say no, and I'd say, nothing, no, something's yeah. going on. Something's going on. And um, all the stories that she would share with me about, you know, the years that, and, and, and after really, um, she prayed for me while I was in the womb, and once I was born, she never laid eyes on me, she said, until the day that I showed up um, 28 years later. Mm. And I was uh, connected with her through an, an uncle. Basically, he says, um, there's somebody that I think you should meet. And I said, okay. And I, you know, rode with him. And he took me to her house, and I walked in, and she, the moment she looked at me, she knew who I was. I didn't know who she was. She was mm-hmm. like, Trisha, baby. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, the look on her face um, was enough to say, you know, whatever. I want to hear what you have to say because um, she looked at me as if she loved me. And I said, I know this woman doesn't know me, but she looked at me as if she loved me. And if you've ever been uh, looked at as if you aren't loved, you recognize when somebody looks at you as if they love you. And so that look was enough to say, I want to I want to know this woman. I want to get to know her. And so my uncle basically left us together. And we spent, you know, uh, the day together uh, getting to, you know, know one another and listening to her tell me about, you know, what she could about my life and everything about, you know, my mom and everything. And, and even she wouldn't tell me about my dad. I mean, for some of you people just did not want to talk about my daddy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so basically, um, you know, it's, it's family secrets, you know, family secrets. And uh, so it's, uh, it's out of that that God drew me into a secret place, you know, drew me into a secret place today. Um, if, if he had not loved on me, if he had not um, drew me out of uh, the water um, that was threatening to overtake my life and, and destroy my soul and my spirit and my mind and my body and um, renew me 
Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't be having a conversation with you today. Um, can I tell you that um, it's over? You know, that I'm completely um, done on the inside. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, um, the cake is uh, put in and uh, basically it's baked and it's, it's done. You know, there's still some areas in, uh, <laughs> in me that still have to be cooked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely cooked. Um, but the one thing that he has shared with me, the one thing that he has shared with me is that basically um, the story about Mephibosheth and that story about you know, Mephibosheth. Everybody, um, you know, talks about it and everything. And, you know, um, he was dropped by his nurse um, and he became lame in his feet. And um, God you know, shared that story with me about um, and basically said, well, you know what, um, you can consider yourself in success if you want to at this point. To get me to understand exactly how deep his love and his commitment was to me, to make sure that I arrived safely to the plan and the purpose that he had for my life. Um, through everything that I was going through, um, he placed the picture inside of my heart, um, when I was uh, young, I accepted him into my life when I was nine in the family bathroom, and he filled me with the Holy Spirit. And the next, uh, that next morning, I woke up uh, from a dream, and he had given me a scripture, um, and it was Hebrews 1 and 3 in my sleep. And I woke up to ask my adopted mother um, at that time what it meant, and she couldn't explain it to me, but I could read. And so what it basically uh, put in my heart, it put enough inside of me to say, no matter what you're going to go through, but you're going to go through some stuff. No matter what you're going to go through, I'm going to make sure that you get through it, that it does not overtake you, that it does not destroy you, that it does not burn you up. And um, that scripture, if you sum it up, it just says, you know, after having done all, he sat down on the right hand of the Father, and he is now upholding all things by the power of his word. And he says, you are being upheld by the power of my word. And I comprehended that at the age of nine. I didn't quite understand the all parts. didn't quite understand all the things that I was going to go through and all the things that I was going to endure. But I had something that he placed inside of me that I guess connected to the prayers that she had been praying for me all those years, and I didn't know it, um, to say, you know what, this is on her that you're going to make it from your food. And um, I was 30 years old, basically, before I got the full revelation of that scripture. And I'm glad about it because no matter how bad it got, no matter how um, backslidden I might have turned and ran away from God and, and I was angry with the church because these people said they were Christians. <laughs> yeah. They said they were Christians, you know. And I was suffering like this in the church and um from the leadership in the church and everything, and, and to turn around and say, okay, well, you know, I don't really want to have anything to do with the church, but there was something inside of me that said the experience that I had in the family bathroom was real, but the people that I was dealing with, they, they really weren't quite real. You know, they really weren't who they said they were. But I couldn't reconcile that. You know, I really couldn't reconcile that in my life. So um, being adopted for me was no fun. Yeah. No, at all. Well, that that story there—that's an amazing story—and to where you're at now is just awesome. 
I mean, what you took out of what could have destroyed you into where you are now, that's, that's, uh, you know, all I can say is, wow, that is an awesome story. I'm giving you the clean version, too. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the kind of stories that I would hear, you know, um, Mm -hmm. after my, you know, after kind of being in my 20s and finding people that, oh, I'm adopted, oh, no. You were lucky, they would tell me. You were lucky, you know. Um, I call it blessed. Yeah, well, you know, that's what I, I called it. I, I call it blessed. Mm-hmm. They can call and, it blessed, but I call it blessed. Yeah, and, um, but it was just, um, you know, it's just it's just awesome how God works things out, you know, and he gives you that strength to endure. Um to get you where you are now. For sure. For sure. And that's, um, you know, my biggest thing is that um, I have been, um, through my writing, and, and through writing, that has been, um, I guess you'd say my bond mm-hmm. in Gilead, you know. Um, I used to write when I was, um, like, you know, younger, diaries and stuff, and then when I discovered that, um, the little locks on the diaries to be broken. And so they would go in and break open my diaries and, and read them. And so I decided, well, I, I'm not going to be able to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was, just, you know, no secrecy or whatever. But um, that was, it was something inside of me that I knew one day I would write. And people would tell me that, you know, one day you're going to write. Um, and uh, God knows I, I have um, an awful lot um, of, true stories to write about. And so I'm I'm a non fiction writer. I'm not a fiction writer. Um I do know that at some point there are some things that I want to put to film and some things that I definitely want to put to play. Mm-hmm. Um but right now I'm uh, you know still in uh, the book writing phase and everything like that. But um that's how um the the things that I write about come out of, you know, and it's through that uh, intimacy with God that the One Heart Series was born, mm-hmm. basically, my twin couplets, my baby, were born um, through the One Heart Series, um, and it took me being intimate with God, Terry, for him to heal the broken places in my life, mm-hmm. uh, to go to the secret places uh, in my life. Um, it took God, it, it, it took God to do that, you know, in my life. And um, like I said, my uh, my contemporaries, um, I thank God for it. She's 20 years. And so um, I tell people, like, you know, a um, woman gives birth to contemporaries 20 years, 20 years of being pregnant in labor. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it, took me 20, it took me 20 years, you know, to get it done. And uh, not because I was consistently writing, but it took me 20 years to get through the process mm-hmm. and, and to sit down and, and, and just write. And just really, really write because I would write um, all five books at the same time. So it was like I would be writing across all five books, and God had to say, "No, you know, I need you to stop and, and finish this one and finish this one." So because you probably would be like, it's almost like cleaning a house, and you're you go to this room, and then you go back to this room, and then you go to this room, and you go back to this room, kind of like that. That's kind of how you were writing. That is, that that is how I clean. Yeah, that's how I clean too. <laughs> 
because it came to me. It's like that's how I clean. That, 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 and then, but clean. but everything at the end kind of comes together, you know. I, yeah, I tell but, me. yeah, but trust me, it, it takes a whole lot longer. It takes a whole lot longer to do it that way. So I think that's why we kind of connect. But yeah. it, it does. It, 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 it takes a long time to get it done, Terry. And I don't be. Moment. And finish it, and I know, but it does. Yeah. Trust me, yeah. it, it really does. But I'm just used but, to it. I've been doing it ever since I was yeah. forever. Hey, I'm and I'll, my mind works yeah. like that. I'm like, oh, well, there's something in yeah. the living room I need to start. I right, go over exactly. there. Exactly, exactly. And my daughter yeah, does the same thing now. So. Yeah, I, I relate to that. I do trust <laughs> me, and that's how come it took me 20 years. But um, and and but the the, the one thing that I want to say that in regards to um, this other book that I just told you that I just finished, I just finished April 12th, and it was one of the books in the 20-year spectrum as well, and it's um, a part of my, my biography is in this book, mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't see it at the time, uh, it was painful for me to write it, quite painful, um, but the writing of that book was really um, more than cathartic, it was uh, deliverance, you know, in a lot of ways. Because a lot of things that I thought I had let go of, a lot of things that I thought I had gotten past um, in sitting now to write uh, my story, I come to find out that I had picked them back up again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it was uh, doing a final farewell, if you would, of uh, those things um, in writing. And so I just finished it April 12th, and uh, it is in the process of being shipped um, out. And it's called Set to praise him mm. uh, from the hand of the saboteur into the hands of God. Ooh. And people say, why saboteur? And I say, I was set free to praise him from the hands of the saboteur. The saboteur, i.e., meaning Satan, and mm-hmm. the people that he used basically to sabotage my purpose and my destiny. Yeah. And so um, I was set free to praise him, and I praise him for all that he's done and all that he's going to do. Um, in my life and in the lives of people who will hear my testimony and who will hear what God has done because, trust me, I've given you the watered-down version mm-hmm. of it all. Mm-hmm. And um, to to just know that um, I'm in his hands, I'm safe, you know, right. and, and that means a lot for a little girl who wasn't safe, mm-hmm. you know. So finding that place of safety in him, finding that place um, where I, I'm free, in him now. I, I understand that scripture of in him I live move and have my being because um, it, it takes coming out of a place of restriction and, and confinement and, and having your life violated to understand what it is to be able to freely move in him, to freely um, say that I'm his and he's mine. So um, that, um, that intimacy is what set me free. And at the time, um, set, uh, my, my story was basically number 10 because I have 10 titles um, that, you know, have been out for, you know, uh, in production in the process of these 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so um, my story, I felt like, was something that was going to be number 10. That's the order that I had put it in. I have, you know, still three other books that are coming out as well. Um, but I thought that that would be, and when I finished birthing the quintuplets, and uh, he said, no, uh, I need you to finish your story right now. And I thought, mm-hmm. you got to be kidding me. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready to tell that story. I'm not ready to tell that like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so after I finished it, he said, now don't you see 
is that um, the pattern of all of this is that basically proves um, the intimacy that you spent with me. This is how you gain your freedom. This is how you mm-hmm. get that freedom. And so to to not do that book next would have made the process incomplete. And so now I understand. You know, it's through the intimacy that I had with God that I was set free. Right. So the, the natural birthing order for uh, my writing and my books was to do the one template and then give birth to um, set free to praise him. And so that is uh, uh, a little bit more in depth, um, most definitely that I can dare share on the broadcast, right? Um, you know, with people. But my my hope and my prayer and my cry is that somebody, mm-hmm. somebody uh, catches hope, and somebody knows that God loves them and God cares about them and. Whatever anybody did to make you feel like you were nasty, dirty, filthy, unloved, and unborn, God says, I love you. Mm-hmm. I love you. And um, when he took me to the story about um, Mephibosheth, and um, I looked up the name this time, and I, I read that story before, but, you know, David's name means beloved, and David was the king, right? And so basically uh, David had a servant. David's servant's name was Ziba. And Zebra's name meant strength, meant army. And Mephibosheth's name meant shameful things. It wasn't. It was bad enough that he was laying on his feet, but he was named Mephibosheth. He was named a shameful thing. And so God says, now, this is what I do for my children who have been dropped. He says, I am the king of kings. And he says, I send my strength, which is my word, after you. And I send my strength after you, you shameful things, and bring you to the banqueting table. Sit down in my presence and let me show you how valuable you are to me. So my heart's cry is to all of those people out there who've been dropped after birth, you've been dropped in the womb, you've been dropped along the way and you feel like you are that shameful thing, bring it on, bring it on, because God has sent his word, and the Bible says that his word will not return unto him for but you would accomplish that which he's going to do. So today, Terry has shared with you good <laughs> side of adoption, and I've shared the bad and the ugly with you, but I want you to know that it's still the same God and the same word, and yes. Um, one of the uh, young ladies in the chat room said that they were considering adoption. I hope you do adopt, and I hope um, that after hearing this broadcast that you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I hope that uh, with everything in uh, inside of you, that if you choose um, a boy or a girl, that you love them with as much as uh, Terry's mother and father loves her. Um, because that's what it's all about. That's, that's what it's all about. So I am um, I'm truly grateful to be able to come um, into uh, your home and uh, over the air with you and share with you everything that um, has been going on. Um, I'm available if you guys want to talk to me some more, you want to interview me, whatever. Um, I'm open now to do that. I've been in the writing process 
So I haven't really been, uh, you know, going around making circuit on uh, Blog Talk Radio, uh, talking to people about my story and anything like that. Because, like I said, my hands have been full, my plate's been full. But I'm coming up for air, and I am available. So anybody who wants to talk to me, uh, feel free to reach out to me, send me um, a message through um, the Blog Talk Radio platform. Or uh, you can reach me at, um, let's see, what's the best one? I use this one. It's mail, M-A-I-L, M-A-I-L, at onehearttheory.com. If you want to reach me uh, by email again, you can reach me, mail, at onehearttheory.com. And Terry, how can people reach out to you? Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'll put it in the chat. Also, Terry. Kendall, T E R I, Kendall, K E N D L E, on Facebook. Um, my email is Miss Terry dot Kendall at Yahoo dot com. Uh, and you know, I'm, the best place to catch me is um, Facebook because I'm always. <laughs> I'm not gonna even comment. You know, at the oddest times, I'm I'm not gonna even comment. I'm not gonna even comment about that. Well, well, I'm gonna let you have that. 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 But um, that's kind of how to talk to me. Um, Pretty soon, I will have my inspirational. Sisters uh, Ministry up, and basically it's going to be a website where you can find all the inspirational sisters like Patricia, links to, you know, that I have found on Facebook that have changed my life. Oh, really? Um, in this process awesome. of my life, you know. Wow. So God has been really, really good. You know, he, he op- he clo- you know, one door closes and one door opens, and that's kind of how my life has happened. One door is closed. And another awesome door has opened. So um, that's wonderful. It is. Um, yeah, that's that's a wonderful feeling. And then I didn't tell you the last time, but me and another friend, which is the lady Dorothy that I've been knowing for like 35-plus years, but we never tell how, because that tells you how old we are. Um, we are putting together a nonprofit organization in Sacramento, California, for runaway teens. Okay. It's going to be a um, shelter, schooling, um, restaurant. So that's going to be an awesome. Um, that's going to be awesome. Her son um, was in the, lived in the streets for a while, and so she met a lot of kids through him. And there's an ugly side in a you know, sides to those. Some kids leave home because they want to and they have great families, and sometimes kids leave home because they have worse families, you know. And we've talked to both sets sides. But we wanted to start something in Sacramento for that. Um, so that's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'll be letting you know a lot about that. Yeah, and you can come back on here and talk about it if you want. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of so I would love for you to be able to come down and speak to these kids because your story is close, you know, your story would would lift them, you know, seeing how where you came from there to where you are now, that's that could lift that could change a person's life. That could change a person's life. Especially a teen. Yeah. 
Because, you know, when you're a teen, you, you think that this is it. You know, sometimes you think this is how it's going to be forever, you know. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. So, most definitely. Um, and reading your book, re- reading your series. So. <laughs> yeah. It keeps keep throwing yeah, more books to me, so I'm like, I can't read this fast. <laughs> Because you tell me this other one, I'm like, you know, I want to do that every room thing, but I can't. (laughs) Staying on one book at a time. Okay. However, however you are led, my dear, however you are led, you know, I and and, you know, I read the same way I clean. That's a huge idea. I read the same way I write as well. There are some books, you know, that I read straight. And I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. there's some that um, I pick up and I bookmark when I get to that point, and I pick up another one and I read and I bookmark and I, you know. So, what can I say? What can I say? But um, it's getting better. It's, it's really, really getting better um, right now. But I really want to continue to do this life after uh, series. Yes. Because um, I think. Um, there's so many people out there, and, and you know, maybe even going some more. Because at first I was going to do this one um, show on adoption, and you know, I want to you know kind of put it to God and see what He wants to do. You know, if it's something that um, maybe we need to repeat it again um, and kind of you know walk it out some more. I really hope Joe calls in again because I really or yeah. another male you know guest will call in and give their perspective that- as men. Yeah, um, that was an amazing. Like that. Yeah, that was an amazing perspective. That was amazing. Yeah, and if we could get a man called in that's been adopted, it would be great. You know, whatever you know, your experience, good, bad, or ugly, we'd like to hear from you as well. Um, and uh, so much, you know, Terry. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, I'm actually doing this in a live environment. I'm uh, yeah. Many, uh, yeah. So I know you hear a lot of different things around me, um, but I'm, um, you know, trying to get out of the studio setting so that I can, you know, have a more impromptu setting. Because at some point I want to be able to like incorporate people, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the live setting and say, you know, hey, you know, pass the mic to them and ask the questions. You know, talk about. Well, I don't feel so bad because so, Imani's a little. <laughs> No, he's been that's in. Imani's been in and out the door, in and out the door. I know. I hear her. I hear her, and it's okay. It's okay. She wants mommy. She wants mommy. Well, she just wants. She knows I'm want on the phone. She knows I'm on the phone. So she comes and she goes, hey, and then walks out. Yeah, that's what babies do. That's what babies do. Yeah. But I, you know, just want her to know, hey, mommy, love you. So, yeah, when I speak, I'm going to have to give her a big old Yes. Hopefully a teddy bear, <laughs> but uh, no, I just um, I, I'm so grateful, absolutely so grateful for um, you being on the broadcast. Most grateful. We got nine minutes in the show. Did you want to ask me anything else or? Um, well, after how is your life now? And are you uh, married, single? Do you have kids? <laughs> I've never asked you that. <laughs> You know, that's not fair. You know, I well, I have it. That's not fair. That's not fair. I don't think I asked you that. That's not fair. That is fair. I mean, 
Maybe that's what God wants me to have, you know. So I'm happy right where I am right now. And, you know, um, I want to uh, tell the chat room thank you. For sure. So, we've got five minutes on the show. Yeah. That's on the show. Four minutes in county. And um, if, uh, I think we're going to, you know, if you agree, we can do this again. So I really think that um, this is something we can uh, talk about some more. Yes. I love having the shows with you. Oh, today with my sprained knee. Well, with today with my sprained knee, I'm like, I can't wait to get on this. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I can't wait to do this.